I'm glad you're here. This has been an interesting uh, couple days for me. And we'll talk about this little illustration here in a little while. But for now, we're going to leave that right where it's at. I know we've already prayed, but give me just a moment, if you will, and let me just have a word of prayer, and we'll get started. <clears throat> Father, I thank you, Lord, for the Word of God dwelling richly in our hearts, Lord. By the Spirit of God, I thank you, Lord, that you take out that that you need and that that the people need, and, Lord, that you anoint our ears to hear and you anoint me to speak under the unction of the Holy Spirit, and I give you praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow. Let's hope we don't go an hour and 20 minutes, okay? Sometimes you don't realize it, but, uh, and I've been in the spot, been in both spots. I've actually went an hour and 20 minutes, and I've been in the spot where I was sitting there for an hour and 20 minutes. <clears throat> There's a big difference between speaking and sitting for an hour and 20 minutes. And it's a lot of it has to do with what you're doing. So it has a lot to do. You know, not saying that every hour and 20-minute sermon is wrong. <clears throat> I'm just saying most of them probably could be shortened a little bit. Okay? So we're going to look at something today. And if I, I was asked before the service, what is the title of the message? And I told them, what kind of vision do you have? So I want to look at, uh, first of all, in Genesis, just to kind of look at something here. And I'm not going to dig too deep into this. In Genesis 3, verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. In verses uh, 6 and 7, Genesis 3, 6 and 7, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. Then in verse 7 it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I'll probably go back to that. It has always intrigued me to see things and understand different scenarios. You can have people that go along in life and they track along the same type of situation. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You can have people that go through financial disaster. And one will see it one way and the other one will see it another way. You can have people that go through loss of some sort. <clears throat> One will go through it one way, and the other one will go through it another way. One will go through it successfully, and one will almost be crushed by it. And it's in almost in every realm of life that you find this right here. And it's been interesting to me to notice that it has a lot to do with perspective, with vision. And our vision is more than just what we see in the natural Every believer, I believe, and every person on the face of the earth has a capacity to receive and understand spiritual truth. And how you do that affects the outcome. I'm going to use this illustration right here. So here we have a glass of water. <clears throat> and water has three different basic forms. It has a solid, 
It has a liquid and it has a gas. If you heat it up, it'll be turning to steam. And I'm going to use the water as the illustration of our wheel. Our wheel is kind of like this water. When we look at this water, this is kind of a neutral state. This is after it has been submitted to some extreme cold, and this is after it has been submitted to some extreme heat. <clears throat> the thing is, as long as you have water at the base, no matter what the conditions are, you end up with water. Because that ice is water, and that steam is water, and this glass has water in it. Whatever conditions that you find yourself into sometimes may change the way in which you have to respond to something. But what will happen is, is you, if you have a pure will submitted to God, you're going to end up at the same level, basic level of water. It just turns into different forms. When we look at the situation in, with Eve, Eve saw something in Genesis it says that she saw the tree was good for food. It was pleasant for the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. And she took of its fruit. And all of a sudden, when she took of her fruit, she had another type of vision. She saw that they were naked. The Bible says her eyes were opened. She saw something that she had not seen before. And that's the point I want to make. People can be in extreme situations and there be a completely different perspective from two different individuals. I don't know about anybody else. It's a little bit nippy right now, just a, just a hair. I don't, it may, I might be me, but it's got a little bit of a nip on it. It's just something to monitor. To monitor. I might be wrong though, okay? <clears throat> um, but I've, I found out you can watch people go through things and what happens is one person goes through it one way, and another person goes through it another way. I want to read you something that I have that I was given permission to use. And it kind of capsulizes what I'm going to be talking about today. <clears throat> and it starts out like this. What kind of vision do you have? Tragedy, hardship, trials, storms, and dry seasons can all be grouped together into one phrase the circumstances of life. All through history, the hard circumstances of life have played mankind, forming and shaping each person individually. I believe this is why the Bible tells us to be formed by the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 3 through 7, and shaped by the potter's hand, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. We have the right and the ability to have the mind of Christ, which is to carry the same perspective he did while on earth. The story of the two thieves crucified beside Jesus is a highlight example of two different visions. We're going to look at that in a moment in Luke 23. <clears throat> Even in the excruciating pain that comes along with being crucified, no one is able to steal your perspective. It can only be given away. I just want to pause there for a moment. It can only be given away. Both men had nails in their hands. Both men had family watching them die. Both men suffered the shame of being made a public example. And both men had to deal with the fear leading up to that day. Most importantly, both men hung beside a Savior. But only one. 
saw the Savior. I want to read that again because this is, this is really important here. Both men had nails in their hands and feet. Both men had family watching them die. Both men suffered the shame of being made a public example. And both men had to deal with the fear leading up to that day. Most importantly, both men hung beside a Savior. But only one saw a Savior. How you see can be the difference between life and death when faced with life's most painful trials. One of the thieves blasphemed Jesus, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. It's easy to see this kind of vision. It's the same vision that the devil uses. The other thief asked for mercy because he had a type of vision that allowed him to see Jesus in the midst of his personal pain and suffering. It's a continual surrender to the Holy Spirit that maintains this perspective. So we are to guard it with truth at all costs. I just thought that story was just very critical in understanding where we're at in life. We'll look at life through the lens that we have on. And that lens is determined by our will. Now you may not think so. <clears throat> you may think that the lens is determined by your experiences. Your experiences has nothing to do with your lens. Has nothing to do with your lens. Two people died beside Jesus. One looked at him as a savior. And one looked at him as someone that was to be railed against. Someone to bring criticism against, someone to mock. What happened on that day? One man cleaned his lens. The other one allowed it to be polluted. This water right here is interesting that if you leave it in a purest state of just being water, no matter what conditions you end up being in, whether you're in the cold condition or whether you're in the real hot condition, when it's all said and done, Whatever produces out of that water on either extremes is considered to be water. It has a steam, a gas, but it's still water. It has ice. It's a solid form. But in the very chemistry of what it is, it is still water. And our wheels are much like that. If you were to take that glass of water right there and fill it half full with the dirt, and suddenly it's polluted, you may freeze the water with the dirt, but nobody's going to use the ice cube. You may even put the water after you put dirt in it and put it into the steamer and put some heat to it, but you're not going to get what you would get if you just had pure water. A surrendered wheel is the purest form of our water with God. And I can tell you, it is not always easy to remain pure in God. You see, the man on the cross, both of them had the same circumstances. Both of them were going through life, and both of them deserved to be there. But yet only one looked up and saw a Savior. What did it take for him to see a Savior in that excruciating pain? Think about that. 
What did it take for him to see a Savior? And what did it take for the other man to not see anything that was redemptive and where he was at? What I've realized is in my own life is that many times we don't realize it, but we get into this thing about where, and, so, and part of it, I'm going to just say this right here, background-wise for me, part of it comes from, I think, teaching that was early on, that was intended to be good, that was not necessarily the outcome was good. Okay, so I'm going to say it like that. The intention was to be good. So what we've done in many cases is we have looked at our circumstances and said, well, God is good because we're on the mountaintop. And then when it's not going so good, suddenly we're not sure. We're not sure anymore about how things are going. You may say, well, it's, I can talk about God being good because all my circumstances are good. My bills are paid. My finances are straight. I have a good job. My sons and my daughters are doing great. They're all in college. They're all doing whatever they're supposed to be doing in life. But my question to you is this. If your bills are not paid, and if your sons or daughters are not doing so well, and if nobody goes to college, and if they don't get the doctorate degree, did it change God? It didn't. But you know what? It changed our lens. Our lens changed. Because somehow or another, we're supposed to have it together because we're Christians. Isn't that right? So in our former days, it was all about faith and believing God and seeing an end result. And don't get me wrong, I'm still in, involved in that, in that train of thought. The only problem is, is that sometimes I don't have control of whatever is happening in my life. Sometimes you end up into some places. Let me just give you an example. A great man of God that when I call his name, every one of you will know who he is. Had a son. That son had a destiny on his life. But while this great man of God was preaching the gospel to the world, this son was in bar rooms. Now put yourself in that place for a moment. You're in a religious world, very religious world. Everybody thinks that everything should happen just like boom, boom, boom. So when you walk into church, every child should be walking right behind you. All of them should be straight-laced and everybody should be, you know, just fitted to that picture. The problem is his had hung out all night long and had given himself to a rebellious lifestyle. Now, sooner or later, he came back around. He came back around. He's now the president of Samaritan's Purse. But if you read anything about him, you'll find out he was far less than what most people thought. An international, renowned minister should not have a son that is in that particular situation. What was it like for a renowned minister to go all over the world preaching the gospel, knowing that his son on Saturday night was in the barroom. See, we forget that part. Some of you may be in a spot right now where everything is not looking exactly like the picture that you know it should be. 
And let me just say something to you. The biggest guilt trip that you ever have in your life is to be there and then you think, I must have done something wrong. I'm not a good parent. How about just life happens sometimes? How about sometimes things just don't work out according to the way everyone thinks that it should? And you might say, well, yeah, but there's answers for that. But how about if I don't know the answers? Okay? And how about, don't take this wrong, how about if I don't need no help in somebody figuring it out for me? How about give the guy a break a little while and let him figure out his own problems rather than us coming in and having a judgment in place about where he's at in life and how it's supposed to look and why it's not looking the way it needs. And all of a sudden we have all these religious rules that stick to someone's life. Come on. I know you, don't, you might not like to hear that, but you know what? It all, those rules work real well as long as you're over here in this protected zone where everything is fine. Okay? I'm going to get real with you in a minute because I, I'll tell you something. <clears throat> I've been around a lot of good Christians. They're good people with good intentions. I've been around a lot of people, you know. And look, if you went to private school, do not take this the wrong way. But I've been around a lot of people that stayed in private school, and their, their moms and dads put them in private school so they could keep them from being contaminated. And I've watched this process through the years, and sometimes it works and sometimes it don't. And the reason why it don't work is because usually the perspective of the parent. I'm going to tell you the reason why I say that. So many people look at it like, I'm going to put my son and my daughter in a protective bubble. Not realizing that your son and daughter, the moment he walks outside of that protective bubble into to adult life, and he's never had a temptation on his plate before, all of a sudden, your protective son and daughter is not going to have the skills to adapt to what is going to be the real world. That's why you got preacher's kids sometimes that go so far off to the left Many times because they're in that protective bubble. And many times the expectation is that they can never do no wrong. Let me tell you something, okay? I'm going to go way back, all right? Way back before I was married, when I was a teenager, all right? Do you know who the girls were that the guys wanted to date? Okay, maybe you don't want to go there. They want, they want the, the girl for the police officer. No, they want that. They were the preacher's kids. Okay? So somewhere along the line, our set of understandings has not necessarily worked through the test of time. We got preacher's kids that are going all over everywhere, doing all over everything, and they're just all out there. And you may say, well, it's because of the parents. I'm not going to tell you that it might, might not have something to do with it. But I'm going to say to you, they may not have the answers. Just sometimes life happens. And when it happens, you're just sitting in the middle of it. Okay? You're just sitting in the middle of it. I mean, just sitting in the middle of a mess. And it doesn't come along with the right stigma, if I could use that word. 
It doesn't come along with the right type of setting, and all of a sudden, your identity as to who you are begins to be under attack. I want to read you something in Romans. So I got two sets of glasses up here. Man, I'm telling you. In Romans uh, 8, chapter chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 28, and I'm going to read several verses. It says, and this is a favorite verse. It's a favorite verse of mine. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And verse 31 says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a, chain, a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ that died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? This next verse right here I want us to look at. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword? He says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want to look at the words here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I did some little word studies. Because I want to talk about where you're at in your spot. And the word tribulation there is a pressing, a pressing together, a pressure. That's what the word tribulation means in the original language there. The word distress is narrowness of place, a narrow place, extreme affliction, basically a tight spot. How many of you ever been in a tight spot? Maybe it was a tight spot financially. Maybe it was a tight spot morally. Okay, let me... uh, so maybe the tight spot you were in was, can be described something like this. So we talked about a little bit about how when you're a Christian, you know, there's certain ways that things ought to just fall in place. Isn't there, isn't, everything should be falling in place. Am I missing something here? But, but what happens when it don't? What happens when... It's your son or it's your daughter or it's your kin folks that end up in a bad place. What happens when you're in that spot? And now suddenly, for whatever reason, people are looking in on your life and judging you based on what someone else made a decision to do. Can I just say something to you? When children become of age... 18 years old, they're kind of responsible for their own. And it doesn't necessarily have a bad reflection on who you are if they make a wrong decision. How many of you made wrong decisions? Now, maybe some of you didn't, okay? But I didn't come up in the same world that some other people come up in. Okay? I didn't. So I didn't have the same parameters around me that some other people have. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you come up in a world, I heard a guy tell me one time, he had never cur- cursed. I said, oh, my God, I learned how to do that when I was about six, seven years old, boy. <laughs> what in the world? I mean, come on. It's okay if that's where you come from. But I can tell you, you cannot look at other people 
and say to yourself that somehow or another there's something wrong or cannot be fixed because they didn't come from the same world that you come from. Look, I got my first beaten, not whooping, beaten, okay? I was sitting out on the grain bin, and we were out there picking cucumbers, and I didn't want to pick cucumbers, and me and my uncle were sitting out there, and we were having ourselves a good old cursing time. And when my granddaddy walked around the corner, the first thing I saw was not him. The first thing I saw was that switch or limb. Now, some of you I know, you think, well, that's, that's, old, yeah, that's old school, and they would have probably locked him up. In fact, I know they would have. But some of you know what I'm talking about. We didn't all come from the same world. And even if you came from the world where nothing never happened, it's okay if someone else don't. It's okay. It doesn't mean that they're polluted to the point that they can't be cleaned. A surrendered will is a choice you make. Okay? It takes some people a lot longer to make that final choice. And then not only that, it's not a one-time event. It's a continual journey. That's why the last of this little article right here that I'm going to talk about in a minute, it's a continual surrender to the Holy Spirit that maintains this perspective. So we are to guard it with truth at all costs. Persecution. Paul talked about that there was not going to be anything that took him from the love of God. <clears throat> Persecution here means oppression, victimization, maltreatment, ill treatment, abuse, ill uses, discrimination. What if you're in that spot where you're the one that's being victimized? What if for whatever reason you're in this place and people are treating you wrongly? And, and let me just say, sometimes you get treated wrong by people that don't mean to do so. Okay? You get treated wrong by people that don't mean to do so. But I'll tell you, wrong is wrong regardless of what the intention is. The, the, the pain that's felt from it is the same, okay? I'll give you a good example of some people, some good intention people that didn't know and understand my situation. So when my, when my, my daughter passed, it was months later people would say things, good Christian people and some that were not. But it was a religious thing, not necessarily a spiritual matter. And people would say something to the effect, well, God needed her more than you. Okay, now that seems to us like it was like, oh my God, what did you just say? Because we automatically have teaching in our background that tells us God doesn't do certain things. But most of the world out there doesn't believe that. Okay? Most, most of the world doesn't believe that. I even had great people that came to me and made statements to the fact of, you know, um, what God had some kind of purpose involved. You know, he knew what was going to happen. And, and, you know, you can look at it any way you want to, but when you're sitting in my spot, theologically, you, there's a lot going on in your head. Okay? 
So I'm going, to, I'm going to cover something just for a second here because it may help some of you that may be looking at your perspective and your perspective may be different than what it needs to be. So there is a sense in which you begin to look at your circumstances and you say, well, God knew that was going to happen. So why didn't God do this? And why didn't God do that? And why didn't God take this? Why didn't God do all of those things? Do you know how many hundreds of thousands of people that went home that night in the very same condition, in the very same time frame that my daughter went home or was coming home and my daughter didn't make it? And it was the very same similar situations, okay? Same time of night, you could go out through all the earth and if you could just pull it up, you would be amazed at how many people were traveling with the same conditions, the same situations, and one made it home, and another didn't. Okay? The person that their daughter made it home, or their son, you know what their response is? The Lord took care of me. Okay, where did that put me at? See, it's a, it's a good intention, okay? Nothing wrong with the intention, okay? But where did it put me at? God took care of this person, and God didn't take care of this person. Okay, let me go ahead on and correct something in your mindset if you're dealing with that type of mentality. You can never, ever, ever pull doctrine from a, a, a God that is sovereign. Sovereignty does not solve your problem. This Bible right here is what solves your problem. And there are things that you will never know in this earth. And you have to be understanding of this one thing. I am not sovereign. I cannot look at the world and understand every single situation, every single little particular detail as to why something happened. I live in a place that's called I don't know. And I don't know is a place for me. And I found something out. If I just take my choice and decide that I will trust God, I will be in a place where I can trust Him and I can walk in His favor and I don't have to know it all. Some of you need to hear that. There was two thieves on the cross. Two thieves. One of them made a decision and the other one was sat there and railed. And when, when the eternity began to click in, one went to hell and one went to Jesus. You have to understand, you may not always know the details that you want to know. And as long as you're led by the enemy to seek out something that you can never know, you will never live in peace. Never live in peace. Don't ever pull your doctrine from sovereignty. Don't ever look out there and say, well, I don't know why this person over here, well, this person over here got this, and I don't know why I got this over here, and I didn't get this. Let me show you something. I poured this glass right here half full. Some people look at this glass, and they say it's half full. Some people look at this glass, and they say it's half empty. I'm going to tell you something. For me, the glass is full. It's full. Whatever I've been given, I'm going to work with. Whatever I've been given, whatever I walk into, whatever circumstances come my way, God said He could take anything that was in my situation and He could work good from it. That's my doctrine. 
My doctrine is not based on comparing situations from one side of the world to the other. I don't, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I don't know why I was born a white man in America. I could be born in Mexico. I could be born in South America. In Puerto Rico, I could have come into a place where it was, it was under uh, uh, the rule of uh, Russia, when Russia was uh, communist. I don't know those things. You have to realize you do not know it. Why do you sit around and try to figure it out? You're walking around in circles and missing the blessing of God because you're trying to see something that was not necessarily intended for you to see. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 was a scripture that took me from a bad place to a good place. It says that the secret things belong to the Lord. When I looked at that word secret, it wasn't that somebody was withholding something. It was being withheld because there's knowledge that is not on the face of the earth. I cannot tell you why. What I can tell you is, is when I pass over and get into his presence and I sit at his feet, I've got some questions. And he's got some answers. But until then, I'm good. I'm in a place called I don't know. And because of his grace, I'm okay. Some of you would like to stay right here. This is a neutral place right here. Water's good. There's no process. When you veer over here and you get into the heat, there's a process. When you get over here, you get into the cold, there's a process. It doesn't make any difference to me what process I go through no more. Let me tell you what makes a difference to me. Do I have a will that is surrendered to God? And when you look at my heart, can he see through and see who I am? That's what matters to me. I don't want pollution in my will. You see, this thing called surrendered will, you see, let me show you something here in Scripture. In verse 38, Romans 8, 38, this is an interesting Scripture right here to me. Did a little research on this Scripture. He said here, he says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to cover something with you first. That word persuaded is an interesting word. It doesn't just involve the fact of being believing. So it, wasn't, it, is, it is encompassing that, but this, is, this word has another framework to it. It's a done deal. Paul said, I've reached a place where it's a done deal for me. He said, I'm persuaded. I've allowed myself to be persuaded to where now it's a decision that I've made. And in that decision, see, he surrendered something to God called his will. And he says that neither death nor life, none of those things were going to separate him. Now, when it says going to separate him, that word there, it's the same word that they use for divorce. Okay? Sometimes you need to understand something. I don't have the answers to your situation. I only know one thing. I want to be in this place where I understand 
that I'm not going to be divorced. Not because God's divorcing me. I'm not going to divorce the love of God. Pastor Eric preached a message many years ago that was one of the key messages. There were several messages that, that, that he preached. And one of them was Psalm uh, 23rd Psalm. The other one was this message. And he'll remember it. It was called about absolute truth. It was the first time that I'd ever heard someone use that term in a Christian world. And when I began to hear what he was saying, the word absolute was just like it, it didn't change. Okay? And Paul had something absolutely in mind here. That God loved him. He didn't know why he ended up in stonings. He didn't know why he ended up in prison. He didn't know why he ended up almost at death's door. You know, when Paul, in the book of Acts, when he was told that he would go and he would, he would sail across, and he said, and then he got out there in the ocean or, or the sea, and all of a sudden, an angel appeared to him and says, hey, you shouldn't have loosed from this place, and because you did, there's going to be some loss, but your lives are going to be saved. Do you know Paul was on a mission from God to be at a certain place? And all that stuff happened. Okay? What's my point? I have a destiny with God. I don't know why everything has happened in my life. If you're separated and divorced here, I don't know why all that happened. Marriage is supposed to work, but guess what? Taste two. Taste two to tango. If you don't have a partner in tango, it don't work. Don't get religious on me, it does. It takes two people to make marriage work. Okay? So you may be in this spot where you're sitting here and you're divorced and, and some people's perspective is, well, I can never be used by God because my marriage didn't work out. Yeah, it's supposed to work out. That's the way it started out. But over 50% of them don't work out. And it doesn't mean that somehow or another you've been trashed and put aside and you can never make, make God Lord in your life and He can never use you. Okay? Some of the greatest men that we talk about and read behind have had marriage issues. Some of the greatest women that we talk about and read behind had marriage issues. I don't mean this to be cruel when I say this, but do you think you're the first person that's ever walked up to the divorce court? I'm not being critical when I say that. But we have to understand there was two men that were standing there or hanging beside there. One man saw a Savior. One man saw himself. That's all he saw was himself. And I'll tell you the reason why he saw himself. The same reason the other man had an opportunity to see himself, the excruciating pain that he was in. Don't take what I'm going to say the wrong way. We all go through pain. And that pain, you know, there's certain pain that I cannot understand. I've not been through it, and I don't want to go through it to be able to find out about it, okay? There's certain pain that I have been through you do not want to know about. You only want to hear me talk about it, okay? You don't want to know what it's like to be in the spot that I was in on that Saturday morning. You don't want to know that. But I can tell you I was not the only person, and I'm not saying that to diminish my situation or to diminish the respect and honor to my daughter. I'm not saying that. That has nothing to do with that side of it. <coughs> What it has to do is to realize that you and I are going to go through stuff. Let me go on here. I'm going to... Famine. Famine in that scripture means scarcity of harvest. Famine, hunger. 
Nakedness. Nakedness of body, not enough clothing. Pearl, danger. Uncertain of where it came from. Uncertain, that's the, that's the embodiment of that world. Danger, that he was uncertain. See, Paul had been through every single one of these right here. Okay? He was uncertain of where the danger came from. And the word sword there, it was a short dagger for a Roman soldier. And it was used for close combat. And it was, it was a weapon, and you got to figure the Roman soldiers, they were like the elite. In the United States, they were the they were the best of the best, and when they they carried their weapons, they didn't just carry their weapons. Paul says, even the sword, even being in close combat with spiritual forces and even natural forces, is not going to divorce me from the love of God. Can I just say something to you? The divorce from the love of God is not on God's side. God paid an ultimate sacrifice. Paul was talking about something here. He was talking about a decision that he had made. He says, I am persuaded. I have made this a done deal. I made a decision, and I made it enough times that now I am persuaded that this situation here will not divorce me from the love of God. You see, what happens is, many times, we don't understand the love of God. We don't have a good revelation of what he did. He died on a cross that you and I could have freedom. That didn't mean that freedom was going to walk in your door and just set up camp. It didn't mean that. You know, we've all, we've all experienced loss on some, some levels. Some on some levels and some on other levels. I can remember when I lost my, my mom and my real father because <clears throat> I was adopted on my dad's side. So my real dad passed away, and I remember when my mom died, and then just, just not too many years past that, my real dad passed away. And I went through an experience that I'm sure everybody here that has got some age on them and, and your mom and dad has already passed, I went through a stage where I realized I am totally by myself in this world. I have absolutely no one to call. None. I stayed there for a little while, but I made a decision. That's not my home. You kind of understand what I'm saying? You see, everybody's going to go through stuff. It's just not your home. And I get it. I do. I get it. Let me show you something in 2 Kings. And we're going to look at then we're going to look at the potter's wheel for just a moment, and I'm not going to hold you much longer, but I do want to take just a moment. Here we all know the story, Second Kings, <clears throat> chapter six, and we're looking at when Israel and Syria were at war, and Elisha was getting the information from God about what the king of Syria was going to be doing. And then all of a sudden in verse 12, he says, in verse 11, he says, Then therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's asking a question there. He says, Who's ratting us out? 
And one of his servants says, None, my king, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and there came by night and surrounded the city. It says, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? <clears throat> and here's what the prophet said. Here's where the, the difference in vision is. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, we all know that story, but I want you to understand something for just a moment. Two men walked out that door, and they both had vision. One man saw the enemy. Another man saw the enemy, but saw everything that surrounded the enemy. Your perception, and I get it, you say, well, the, the man of God prayed here. But your perception is many times determined on your decision. You see, as I said before, you can never pull doctrine from sovereignty. Because you're not God. You don't understand it all. You pull doctrine from the scripture. Two men walked out. One man saw one thing and another man saw the other. And then he prayed for the servant. He said, Lord, open his eyes. Well, you know something? This is the thing. Those horses and those chariots that filled that mountain were there, whether that man saw it or not. He walked into the situation and could not see the horses and chariots, but it did not change the fact that they were there. What am I saying to you? Your situation, as bad as it may be, as bad as you may perceive it to be, you might not have the right vision. Vision many times comes from a choice or a willingness to be, to undergo whatever situation that you're in. You see, I can't answer all of your questions. I cannot do that. I'll, I'll give you a good example. You know, our sister in the Lord passed away just this past week, or last week, Patsy Quinn. Now, I know enough about Scripture to know there's an absolute truth, okay? The absolute truth is when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sickness and our, our diseases, okay? But she passed away. All right? So I'm not going to pull my doctrine from that experience. I can't do that. I don't understand everything that was surrounding that, and I'm not criticizing because I don't know her battle. I'm not even about to even say that I wouldn't choose to go on dealing with the stuff she was dealing with. I'm not about that. I'm not trying to, to criticize that. What I'm trying to show you is I know that dear sister to be a woman of God. And I don't know why things happen the way they do. People pass away all the time for different reasons. What I do know in my own personal situation, I have a doctrine. Jesus paid a price. And I'm going to fight that fight. And I'm not going to try to figure it out from a sovereign situation. I don't know. I had the Lord tell me something one time about my granddad. He had emphysema. I would go over there sometimes in the middle of the night and pray for him. And it happened repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. 
and repetitive all over and all over. And one night, I just, one morning, I just said, Lord, what's going on here? I don't understand this. I go over there and pray for him, and he gets better. I come back in the next two weeks or less than a week, two days, he's back in the same spot. I don't understand that, God. And God spoke something to me I'll never forget. He said, healing is a very personal choice. And I said, okay. And that's when I began to understand that, you know what? If you get in a bad spot, a really bad spot, the choice might be yours to decide on which way you might want to go. It might not be. And you might say, well, wait a minute, healing is provided. I don't care. Not that I don't care, but I'm trying to tell you, we make choices all the time. You know, the law says don't speed, but you make a choice and you speed. Don't you? Don't be so religious. Don't act like you ain't never speeded before. Some of you got tickets more than I could ever even think. But you get in that hospital in that nighttime and you're there by yourself, you might make a choice. Everybody else around you might not understand it. The battle's very personal. You see, some people stay in depression because it's a personal battle. And I'm going to get out of here in just a minute. Please don't take this the wrong way. I've had my opportunity to be depressed. Okay? And I'm not wearing my situation like a badge. I'm not trying to do that. But I've had my opportunity to be depressed. I've had my opportunity to walk in some things that some people stay in. And it's not, look, there are things that I walk in right now that I'm not going to sit here and divulge to you, but I walk in these battles. You got battles. I've got, I've got friends and I've got family members and I've got, I've got people that are around me and they deal with panic attacks. And I'm not judging anybody on that. But they, they're real to them. Is there a cure for panic attacks? Yes. How will it turn out for you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I know what the Bible says, but I don't know how to turn out for you. You know, I just don't. I just want to bring you a message to let you know that I can empathize and feel the pain but I also understand one thing. My perspective is dependent on my surrendered heart. When I surrender my heart and I'm persuaded that there's nothing going to pollute who I am, then if I go to the extreme in some reason or another, and I don't know why some people end up in the heat. Some people end up in the heat. I don't know why. But I'll tell you something about the heat. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for over 35 years. And do you know that pharmaceutical industry use steam every single day of their existence? And the medicines that you take, that you get in your arms when you go to the hospital, could not exist without steam. Steam cleans and kills all the bacteria for a sterile environment. If you did not have steam, you would not have sterile drugs which is anything that you get injected in your body. Now, you might say, well, what does that, how does that relate? Well, let me explain something to you. You have a triangle, which is your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. 
You can take meds into those three areas of your body, and your, your body is designed to be defensive if there's something wrong. Okay, so it'll start making you sick, okay? You take a drug that is injectable into your veins, you've just bypassed that defense system. And if that drug is not 100% right 100% of the time, you will probably die because your defense system is no longer there. So steam serves a purpose. I don't know why some people end up in steam. I don't know why some people end up in ice, isolation. Some people feel like they're isolated, like nobody knows anything about where I'm going and where I've been. And let me just say something to you, okay? We all get that feeling every once in a while. I know what that feeling's like. I never met another family that had ever lost a child before until after the death of my daughter. And I didn't meet them right off the bat, okay? I'd never known a family that went through that type of trial and that, tri that type of situation. But I was there and I was isolated. And it's a very cold feeling when you're the only person in that environment. So you may say to yourself, well, I'm the only person that's going through this right here. Well, maybe that's a narrow view of where you're at. And that's not meant to be disrespectful. But what I can tell you is when ice, and this is get, getting really melted right now, but when ice is put in the right conditions, it does really wonders for iced tea. It does. It makes things a lot pleasant. Try drinking tea. Now, some people drink it hot, but in this culture, we don't. But try drink, drinking tea lukewarm. Okay? And then ice has a lot of other things that's going on with it. But just, just in that example, I want to read this right here one more time, and then I'm going to close. It says, what kind of vision do you have? Tragedy, hardship, trials, storms, and dry seasons can be grouped together into one phrase. The circumstances of life. All through history, the hard circumstances of life have plagued mankind, forming and shaping each person individually. I believe this is why the Bible tells us to be formed by the mind of Christ and shaped by the potter's hand. We have the right and the ability to have the mind of Christ, which is to carry the same perspective he did while on earth. The story of the two thieves crucified beside Jesus is the highlight example of two different visions. Even in the excruciating pain that comes along with being crucified, no one is able to steal your perspective. It can only be given away. It can only be given away. That's where your decision comes in at. Both men had nails in their hands and feet. Both men had family watching them die. Both men suffered the shame of being made a public example, and both men had to deal with the fear leading up to that day. Most importantly, both men hung beside a Savior, but only one saw a Savior. The next time you think you're alone, you're not. You're hanging beside a Savior. You really are. Whatever's going on in your life, you're beside a Savior. How you see can be the difference between life or death when faced with life's most, important, most painful trials. One of the thieves blasphemed Jesus saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. It's easy to see this kind of vision 
since it's the same vision that the devil uses. The other thief asked for mercy because he had a type of vision that allowed him to see Jesus in the midst of his personal pain and suffering. It is a continual surrender to the Holy Spirit that maintains this perspective. So we are to guard it with truth, with truth at all costs. Where do I get my truth from? I go to the Word of God. And when I don't know what to do or what to, what to say or how to explain it, I still keep on going to the Word of God. I quit comparing my situation with other people's situation and trying to get doctrine out of it. Because the moment that you do that, you find yourself lowering the God in which you serve because now he is subject to whatever you can figure out from someone else's circumstances. That's a pretty low place for God to be at. You see, there's an absolute truth that I do know. He is good and he is good all the time. That's just an absolute truth. I also know another absolute truth. All things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I know that is an absolute truth. I may not understand my situation. I may not understand yours. I may not have theological background or theological stamina to be able to stand there and try to tell you why things are the way they are. But that really makes no difference to me because I've understood one thing. All things includes everything. It didn't leave anything out. All things include everything. By the way, this article was written by my son. I told him what I was going to be speaking on. And God began to reveal some things to him, and he shared it with me. And I said, I want to use that. Didn't come from a Bible theology person, a Bible school person. Come from a 26-year-old man that hears the voice of God. What he wrote down was everything that I wanted to share. I'll let him preach it next time. Would you just stand with me?